Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. to stop the Rileys. He drops back. Blue Chiefs looking for Everly. He's going. Going to the end zone. Now McDavid walks in right circle. Back to Everly. Touchdown Eskimo. One-timer score. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 champ. Well, it may be minus 32 with the wind chill. Time to let Inside Sports warm your hearts. A little chilly for the Oilers last night. A lot of you irritated. Overtime loss to the Buffalo Sabres. They will be back at it tomorrow at the Philadelphia Flyers. All the Flyers have done is won their last six. The Oilers' record in the month of December, 2-0-2. They haven't lost in regulation time, but certainly a couple of disappointing overtime losses their last two games. A lot to talk about from uh, last night's game, and one of those centering around the uh, the timeout that the Oilers called. Buffalo didn't have a timeout late in the game. They're getting they got the goalie out, and it was the Oilers that called time rather than forcing Buffalo to go at it without a break. Well, head coach Todd McClellan was asked about that today because they had an alignment that uh, we weren't prepared for. Um, you know, we ended up losing the draw, but if we win the draw, we were prepared to uh, to execute against it and. Um, you know, we felt we needed it. Um, they didn't score off a face-off play or anything like that, so it had nothing to do with the, the calling of the timeout. Uh, they ended up moving the puck around, and, and uh, they earned the goal. And uh, sometimes other teams do good things as well. Um, I liked our positioning for the whole uh, 40 seconds or whatever it was on our end. They were lined up uh, much differently than, uh, than what we normally see in took our escape routes away from us so we had to adjust all right so Todd McClellan asked about that today after the Oilers had a uh, not a full practice a dozen guys on the ice in Philadelphia Flyers tomorrow 3:30 face-off show five o'clock puck drop right here on 6:30. Chad I'm Reed Wilkins thanks for tuning in to Inside Sports and we welcome former NHL goalie Kelly Rudy to the show Kelly how are you doing I'm fantastic reading yourself I'm doing very well, buddy. Good to have you back on the show again. A uh, lot to lot to talk about, and uh, you know, I've already had a couple people texting in and saying, you know, the timeout's not a big deal if they don't wind up getting scored on, but they did. So you have to deal with the results and uh, and not the what ifs. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was a time Buffalo couldn't call one. They'd had our video review that was unsuccessful. Um, and you know, sometimes it's one of those things where a a, a coach kind of interjects himself into the game where where fans wonder if it was if it was necessary or not given because the Oilers had the advantage they had the lead they hadn't played the night before so a lot of people were thinking why not just keep rolling with it okay so 
interesting we're having this conversation. And as you know, I didn't watch the entire Oilers game. I watched a part of it. I had my own broadcast yeah. last night. But I did go back on Game Center Live uh, when you text me the what we're going to start with. And I, and I watched the play itself. I watched the about three minutes leading up to it and then the, the timeout and the game time goal and, uh, and all. So I'm very clear on the situation. Having said that, this is a, a philosophical question or dilemma that uh, has been around hockey for a long, long time and will be around until the game is no longer. And it's one, it's an interesting conversation, Reed, because going back to, to my days playing, uh, and it first started with Al Arbor, because Al was always of the mindset that you never allow the offensive team with a face-off in your zone uh, late in a game like that you don't give them a timeout. You don't give them a chance to rest. You don't give them a chance to discuss what they might want to do when they wouldn't have had that opportunity uh, had you not called a timeout. So that's one philosophy. Interestingly enough, that I would have that conversation. If I, weren't, if I wasn't the goalie playing, I'd be sitting on the bench and I'd be talking to my defenseman, and oftentimes we'd have that very same conversation because they would think, the opposite should be true. That If you call a timeout, it's more than fine because defensively we need to be the rest of the team and we need to really be clear about what our duties are. And if there's any confusion whatsoever, and in this case McClellan thought it was a setup that Buffalo had that might throw off uh, the defensive structure of the team, then he thought that was the better uh, option. And, and then it goes into, and I've had that discussion over the years with many of my teammates, because a lot of my, our coaches had different philosophies. Some guys thought that, uh, yeah, call a timeout. Other teammates thought that that was the wrong thing. So it's a, it's about a 50-50 <laughs> split, right. in my experience, about what the options are. The other thing is then it goes into exactly what McCollin said about now you have to trust your players that they're going to win a face-off. And then if you don't, you have to win some puck battles. And that's always been my thing. And, and now I'm just going to take it just to a different place so here were some of the dilemmas or, or questions or situations I would have been in as a goaltender in similar circumstances where well what is the right thing so late in the game late in the period do you want to freeze the puck in your own zone or do you want to keep the puck alive and and give your chance uh, your team a chance to exit the zone and, and and you have to read the situation so most times if I could I'd keep the puck alive if I knew my teammates weren't dog-tired, if I thought they could make a play, I'd allow them that opportunity. But if, if I thought that they were too tired um, or too confused by situations, you know, all sorts of things going on, I'd freeze the puck, and then I would trust my centerman to win the draw or, again, winning puck battles. Another scenario, I know I'm really going on here, but it is just complicated. So another situation, now if the puck is shot in and I have the ability to play it, but I can't set it up for my defenseman properly, or I can't make a direct pass to him so that we can maybe uh, exit our zone, what's the safest bet for me? Is it to uh, rim it hard and high along the glass? And in all likelihood, it's going to get by my winger, and then it's going to be kept in and by the opposing defenseman. He's now going to be able to make a play. So what I learned over the years, maybe my option is just to throw it in the corner like right near the goal line or five or seven feet in front of the goal line, and now it's just a puck battle. 
It's between them and my players. And I used to trust my players and think that because we're in the defensive zone, they're going to be hungrier. They're going to be proud. They want to accomplish that. And so that's the situation. I, I look at Carey Price, and that's what he does. He's, he's great at moving the puck. He's my favorite in the league. But oftentimes, if he's not sure if he can make a player, if his defenseman can, he just puts it in the corner, and then it's up to a puck battle. So there's my long-winded answer for all this you know, these situations about timeout or where you put the puck or who you trust on face-offs, all that kind of stuff. Well, though, that's that's a great answer, and it just shows how much can go through a player and or a coach's mind, right, in in those split seconds. And I'm glad you brought up what, what, a, what a goalie might be thinking of freezing it, not freezing it. If I yeah. don't freeze it, where do I put it? Like that, the player's... I mean, the guys in the NHL are that detailed in their thoughts, especially the good ones, right? They, they are, they're considering all those scenarios yeah. in a split second, or they've thought about it ahead of time so they can just react and do it. Yeah, and the other thing and the other thing is, Reed, so let's go back to that situation where I put the puck and I'm going to just I'm gonna allow for a puck battle in my own zone. And, and then what I would do, if they, if they were close enough to me, especially if the puck was now being fought for, below the goal line where the guys could really hear me easily, I'd be yelling. I'd engage myself in their battle and be yelling about battle, battle. I'd be giving them these key words to sort of get their energy level. And also, like, it's in your feet or or at times, okay, somebody's got to get out of there. Somebody, you know, one, uh, I'd instruct a guy to leave to go to the front of the net in case I noticed one of the opposing players sneak into the, the slot area. So all those different things and you're aware of it all the time, you're just playing the odds. You're hoping that your decision that you've made puts everybody in the best scenario uh, that you can under those circumstances. Well, I want to ask you about another quick decision a goalie has to make, and and this relates directly to an Oilers game as well, against Minnesota on uh, on Sunday. Jonas Gustafson, who hasn't played a lot this season, poke-checked Zach Parisi on a breakaway, and then he went for the poke check seconds later on Miko Koivu, who got around him and uh, had scored the winning goal. I mean, maybe it's a little bit of a lost art. You can watch, I, I can't even remember how many game poke checks by a goalie I've seen tried in Oilers games this year, but Gustafson tried two in about in, a, in about in about uh, yeah. 20 seconds. Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, history, I, I believe... Uh, Johnny Bauer, I don't know if he was the the guy that uh, started or initiated the idea of a poke check, but he certainly became the best at it in his time, and he was known as the master of the poke check. But if you, I even, because, again, you text me what we were going to talk about. I, this afternoon I have a day off here in Glendale, so I, I Googled some, uh, some Johnny Bauer, and I watched some of his technique and how, and what you really notice about that is that he was fully committed to it. Now, I mean, talk about bravery, right? He didn't have a mask or right. helmet or anything. <laughs> He's willing to, you know, lay on the ice and potentially get a puck in the head or a, a skate or a skate blade. I mean, just terrifying to me that he would be that brave. But furthermore, again, he was so committed to it 100%. Now, you, you fast forward to Sunday's game, and and what Gustafson did the first time on Preezy, he was fully committed there was no sense that he was going to do this. He hadn't done it before, and so it's, it's the element of surprise. If you're fully committed to it, it works. So on the goal itself, though, if you watch it, he, he was about three-quarters committed. And, and 
That's the different stuff. The element of surprise is no longer. Mm-hmm. And then he wasn't completely committed. So here's the move. Here's the thing with that move. It can be a great move. I, I tried it occasionally, but but I wasn't very good at it, and I didn't trust it. So if if I was going to do it, I had to be completely sure because the the potential exists that you're going to look really silly. I mean, the guy that works greater, oftentimes you look really silly, and I didn't like those odds. I didn't like the idea of looking silly. So uh, the other thing is it can work well. So if you're a youngster out there and you're, you're, you're thinking of using it, please don't try it for the first time in a Practice <laughs> it a lot because it, there's a real special technique. And, and one of the keys is also to keep your entire body flat on the ice. That's the, the part about being totally committed so that if, in fact, you don't poke, check the puck, the player loses possession and it just slides into your body. And so uh, you accomplish your goal either way. But if you're not fully committed, you're not flat on the ice, the puck can, has the ability to roll under you. And again, you look silly. So if, uh, like I'm talking to young goalies here. If you are thinking of trying it, because it can be a pretty cool and effective move, move, just make sure you practice it a lot uh, before you ever try it in a game. Kelly, there's a lot to get. Could you stick around? Because I, I got to get some of your thoughts on how the Flames have turned it around here, too. They're as hot now as the Oilers were off the start of the season. Can we get you to stick around after the break? Yep. Right on. A few more minutes with Kelly Rudy coming up, our weekly feature here on Inside Sports on 630 Chat. Hey, this is Connor McDavid. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins. This is Benoit Pouliot. Jordan Everly here. This is Mark Letestu. This is Milan Lucic from your Edmonton Oilers. Help bring Christmas to thousands of kids. Please support 630 Chad, Santa's Anonymous. We always appreciate it. If you do, check them out, santasanonymous.ca. Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 6.30. Chet, thanks for tuning in. We will get to some uh, open line time after the 6.30 news, 780-496-0063. You can text 6.30-6.30. We're having our weekly chat with Kelly Rudy from the NHL on Rogers, former NHL goaltender. Kelly, wanted to, and, and you're, uh, you know, you're on the on the Flames broadcasts, They've gone 9-4-1 and one in their last 14 games. That was the Oilers' record in their first 14 games, so I find that parallel a little interesting. I was looking at the Flames' game log. Brian Elliott doesn't have a win since October 28th. Uh, Chad Johnson's taken over as the goalie. How's that, how's that playing out? I mean, they're obviously happy they're getting wins, but it's a little unexpected in terms of who's been carrying the load and doing well. Yeah, I would think uh, I would agree with that it is a little unexpected. Um, here's it, Brian Elliott has he's a battler, right? We've known that. That's how he made a name for himself in the National Hockey League. So I expect that's going to continue on. He's going to continue to fight. He's had uh, two recently two good outings. He had a really good uh, game going in Buffalo until uh, the Sabres scored three consecutive uh, power play goals. I, I put that more on taking bad penalties in that second period that led to that loss. Because uh, for the most part, he was really sharp. And then uh, his next start was in Brooklyn, and he lost in overtime 2-1. to one. So he is, he is really good there. But you have to give uh, Chad Johnson all the credit in the world. He, here's the guy that has come in, and uh, he's been a real steadying force for the team. He's, he's really technically sound. I mean, rarely do you ever see him out of position. Uh, the other thing, I think more importantly than all of this, he just he's unflappable uh, i've never seen him get rattled yet and we're into december and you would think he hasn't given up many bad goals I'd, I'd say but he's given up the odd one that wasn't the best and yet 
uh, he, he just goes unwavering. He just continues uh, to be rock solid. I talked to him about that last night on the plane, in fact, about has he always been that way? And he's always tried to be that kind of guy that doesn't get rattled. So uh, that nervousness goes through the rest of the skaters. Uh, but more importantly, I think, Reed, when you look at the team, it's just how connected they're playing now. Uh, they were out of sorts early on. The Oilers uh, handed them a couple those first two losses that really sent them reeling for a little bit. And I think uh, their confidence was a little hurt uh, after those losses. But especially special teams. Now, you look at their special teams, uh, penalty killing has been brilliant almost uh, 10 games in a row now. The power play has scored three consecutive games. And it was when their power uh, or specialty teams were just terrible. I think it was 17 games ago, Glenn Gullickson uh, mentioned, and if you watch your practices now, uh, there's tons of special teams work. They, they recognize they needed to be better, so they have. And, and in all areas, they're, they're just more connected. They play a more sustainable game. Now, I'm not throwing Bob Hartley under the bus because I really I have a lot of great uh, respect for him. I admired the job he did here. But the way they played, although it was extremely exciting, you know, the long stretch passes, the chip and chase, the uh, all the D jumping into the rush. It was super fun to watch, but I don't think it was as sustainable of style of play as what they have right now. This is a more traditional style where you come out together. There are five guys connected, uh, good on the forecheck. You're connected in your own zone, neutral zone, all that kind of stuff. And I, I do think because the season's so long, so many games, not a lot of days off, I think it's been a better team structure to play. Otherwise, I think you just wear yourself out in this today's game. Yeah, well, nice to see, at least for now, they've played a lot of games, more games than everybody else in the division. But Edmonton first, Calgary third. Hopefully they can stay up there and the Battle of Alberta will mean a little more. Yeah. Kelly, thanks for making time for us, buddy. We'll do this again next week. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Really appreciate your time. Okay, thanks, Reed. Have a great night, bud. Kelly Rudy, our weekly guest here at Inside Sports, checking in some thoughts on poke checks, timeouts, and the resurgent Calgary Flames. We got to make a news break. Make a news break. Take a news break. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Next half hour, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my worry pants on and give you my top concerns for the Oilers moving forward. Serving Edmonton and making Christmas dreams come true for more than 60 years. We are 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous. Minnesota Wild have just scored. They lead Toronto 3-1. Eric Stahl with the goal. Minute 15 into the second period in Toronto. Capitals up 2-0 on the Bruins. That game is about 13 minutes old. Coming up later tonight, 8.30 Edmonton time starts. The Hurricanes face the Ducks. The Sharks will be home to the Senators. Oilers at Philly tomorrow. 3.30 face-off show on Ched. The game will start at 5. 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. We got some time here to talk. Uh, I know last night's overtime open line was probably the angriest I have uh, heard you guys yet this season, and that was definitely a tough one to lose. You fight back after a poor first period. Oilers had the lead against a uh, tired Buffalo team, and they surrender it in the last minute. Adam Larson takes a penalty, and they lose on a uh, power play goal by Buffalo in overtime. Um, you know, I've been fairly positive about the Oilers for the most part this season. I, I still think they remain an average team. 
I'm going to give some some numbers here. They have won exactly half their games, 14 out of 28. So, uh, you know, to me, that's uh, pretty average. Obviously, they have more than half their points, thanks to some overtime and shootout losses. But uh, I'm going to give you over the next half hour, and this is the theme if you want to chime in on the phone line or on the text line, my top concerns about the Oilers that I have seen so far and, uh, and moving throughout the season. 780-496-0063. Just some other notes here. Uh, All-star game hero John Scott announcing his retirement. That was quite the story from last year. The Montreal Canadiens, Alex Galchenyuk and David DeHarnay, both have knee injuries. They're both going to be out six to eight weeks. The Oilers have put Mark Fain on injured reserve. He uh, got injured last night again against Buffalo. David Musil has been called up. Either he or Dylan Simpson expected to play tomorrow against the Flyers, head coach Todd McClellan. I guess, first of all, it's a real good thing that we have... Uh you know, Larson and, and guys like Griba signed and Russell signed at the end uh, of the summer because he created the depth that we need now. Um, you know, when I look at our D, we've got the, the four veterans that are playing. We have the four veterans that are out. Uh, Reinhardt, who we, did, we consider a prospect, was hurt in the minors. So we're, uh, we're tapping our D, you know, 10 or 11 deep now. And uh, that's a good thing for our organization. I don't think we had the ability to do that in the past. Um, now it's a matter of parlaying that into wins, and um, we'll have to make some lineup decisions and some um, pair decisions as we as we move forward. But it's certainly in in flux right now. Well, they are going deeper into the organization now. It, McClellan also said today Brandon Davidson might be able to play uh, one of the starting one of the home games next week. Well, starting Sunday, won't be able to play on this road trip. I don't think Eric Greib is out long-term. The Oilers don't say much about injuries, but even he would be useful at this point. I did talk to someone today who has seen the Bakersfield Condors play a lot, and they spoke fairly positively about David Musil. They said he's been good with his gap control. He's been good at shutting down top players on the other team. We know that his, uh, his foot speed, his movement has been a- an issue um, but he's been learning to play with those limitations. I mean, every player in the NHL, most players in the NHL have some sort of weakness that you got to disguise or figure out how to work around. And they said Musil's figuring that out. But I, I would expect Simpson to be the guy that gets in, um, given that he was the guy who was called up before Musil. But we'll see. I got Jared on the phone line. Before I bring in Jared, I'm just, I wrote down three or four things here for my concerns about the Oilers. And I'm going to try to keep mine to things related to the day-to-day and the gameplay as opposed to overreaching, Shirelli should do this, Shirelli should do this, because I think, you know, the GM's going to intervene more at later parts of the season. My number one concern is still the start of the games and falling behind. And, I mean, they had that stretch, what was it, five, five out of seven, they got scored on in the first three minutes. I think they had nine games in a row. They allowed a goal in the first ten minutes. They had a very sleepy first period last night against Buffalo. Get this, guys. The Oilers have played 28 games. They've scored first 11 times. They've only scored first 11 times. Now, when they've scored first, they're 8-1-2. and two. So think of that. 10 out of 11, you score first, you're getting at least a point out of the game. And Rob looked it up earlier this season. It was just under 80% that if you score first, you get something out of the game either a win or, or you're losing overtime. So you're not going home empty-handed. Uh, that's that's a, been a big problem for me. I don't know why they don't start with a little more fire. 
I mean, they have enough. I don't, I, they don't have a great roster overall, but they got one of the most talented players in the league. Why not have the attitude, we're going to initiate? I mean, shouldn't the other 17 skaters be thinking to themselves, let's play hard enough that we're at least going to be even with the other team, and then maybe we got a guy that can break it open for us? I don't know. That 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 attitude seems to be missing. Jared is on the line. Jared, thanks for waiting there. I just wanted to spout off. <laughs> yeah, Reed, I just have uh, two basic concerns, and I think the first concern is um, the Oilers kind of look tired a lot of these games and almost like a little bit slow. And I'm worried that as the season drags on, they're going to get into these a lot a lot of these games where maybe they fade out in the third period or late in the third period. And, I mean, we're only, what, 28 games in? How are they going to look at game 50 or 60 if they're challenging for a playoff spot? And I think the other thing that concerns me is when their defense gets tired or they uh, don't have the confidence. You mentioned that gap control. They back out of the offensive zone very quick. They give up the blue line. They give up the red line. And that causes a lot of problems. But when, like, Clef, Baum, and Larson are playing good, they play a very, very tight gap, and they step up nicely, and they take the body. But when they're a little further back, they're always forced to play the puck, and that I think that causes a lot of trouble. Well, I think that's a good observation. Your, your first one about them sometimes looking tired and slow, this is, this is the most compressed part of the schedule for them overall. It's something that it was, it's, uh, I can't remember what it was, but, I mean, even the start of this month, it's like, what's uh, seven games in the first 11 days so that will wear on a team a little bit i don't want to use that as an excuse good teams still find ways to get points so we'll see how they do in this back-to-back but they you're right they have sacrificed a little bit of speed for a little bit of size right shirelli clearly wants that and now has there has that hurt them at times i think fair comment yes um, but there's also been some nights where they have been able to check pretty hard and the size has helped. So that's, that's a tough balance to get. Um, but I, I think your comments are valid. I hope that they don't linger all season long. I hope when they get a break, they come back a little more energized. Next week, they're going to have three days between games, which will hopefully help. Jared, you still there? Yeah, I'm still still there. Just my reception's a little bit bad. Okay. Yeah, I just, I just, uh, you know, there's that where the season is is grinding on, and it's a long season, right? It's the toughest season of all of all of sports. So, I mean, when you when you think about that, like just that kind of open end, natural skating game, they don't have as many guys. Uh, like that and it seems like when they're losing games it's almost because they're a little bit like running out of gas or getting sluggish whereas before they were just like last year they would get dominated but they seem to be skating better but I guess it is a balance and and hopefully guys like Lucic and Maroon don't um, and the bigger players don't get overtired as the season goes on even title when he kind of tanked in the second half that was a real concern yeah for sure Jared good to hear from you buddy Take it easy, Reed. That's Jarrett, 780-496-0063. Talking about fatigue, that segues into another one of my concerns, and I know a lot of you have this, and that's Cam Talbot's workload. And I expected Talbot to play a lot, and I think, you know, if you listen to this show at all, and I think, I, I think most of you are pretty 
generally positive about Cam Talbot. I, I don't get a lot of, I think he's a terrible goalie, texts or calls anymore. I, I think Talbot's a, an above-average goaltender. I mean, I think you can pick out, depending on the, the season and the criteria, um, you know, three to six really top-notch goalies in the NHL. And then I think there'd probably be a bunch of guys ranked about six to 20, who, depending on, you know, any given year, I think Talbot's probably in that big bunch. Um, you know, he's he's generally has slightly above average stats when you look at save percentage and stuff like that. Now, we all know last year was his first year as the number one. He didn't really grab it out of the gate, but he totally supplanted Anders Nielsen by, well, right around this time of the year, mid-December, really. But here here's what's coming up, guys. I would assume by the end of Sunday, they got three games between now and Sunday, I would assume Talbot's going to start two out of the three, right? You'll put Gustafson in one of these back-to-backs. Maybe he plays against Minnie again. And then, uh, you know, Talbot plays the other two. That means by the end of Sunday, Talbot will have started 27 of the Oilers' 31 games. That's 87% of their games. That's on pace to start 71 games this season. (laughs) Now, I thought Talbot would play 60 to 65. I didn't think he would top 70. He's on pace to do that. And, and we have seen, ex- when, you know, when he gets near the end of an extended stretch, some of the saves aren't there, right? And it's hard, you know, sometimes it's hard to judge, but all you know is whether the goal got went in or not. So now part of this is how much faith do they have in Gustafson? And I think maybe that faith will... will learn more about Gustafson as to how he plays over one of the next two games had a good game in Detroit like he's only started three games had a good game in Detroit lost it in Los Angeles had a good game against Minnesota if he comes out with another good game maybe then the coaching staff and the players for that matter take a bit of a deep breath of relief and say oh okay okay we can maybe go to him a little more he seems he seems solid Maybe they don't feel if he comes out and has a bad like if he comes out and has a bad game or just you know kind of a middling game, one of the next two days, then are you looking at oh my god we just got to keep going with Cam Talbot, so the Talbot workload that's another thing I want to keep an eye on. We'll get to a couple other concerns seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can also text six thirty six thirty. It's Inside Sports at six thirty. Chet. This is Cam Talbot. This is Oscar Plefbaum. This is Zach Cassian. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins. This is Connor McDavid from your Edmonton Oilers. Help bring Christmas to those who might otherwise go without. Please support 630 Ched, Santa's Anonymous. Good to have you along for the ride this evening. Kevin Carius coming up in the second hour of the show. You're also here from Brian Cheeseman. This is a pretty cool story. He's the athletic therapist for the Edmonton Oil Kings. He's going to be with the Canadian World Junior Team at the tournament coming up in Montreal and Toronto. And speaking of the World Juniors, Jamie Crooks from the U of A Golden Bears hockey team will be playing on a U Sports All-Star team going up against uh, the World Juniors at the selection camp next Monday and Tuesday. So that's pretty cool. 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. You know, another thing here that's has hurt the Oilers, they've played Arizona twice, Toronto twice, Buffalo twice. 
teams that you wouldn't expect to be great. I mean, I know everybody's dangerous. They are 0-3-3 against those teams. They've beaten the likes of Chicago, Washington, St. Louis, you know, a win or a loss against Dallas, some better teams, able to beat Anaheim in overtime, lost their other game against the Ducks. But against those three teams, they are 0-3-3. Head coach Todd McClellan was asked about losing to the quote-unquote bad teams today you know i've i've read some of the articles and i think there's uh, a bit of a disrespect for some of the teams that that aren't uh, at or near the top of the point standings and those teams are hard to play against they're well coached and they've got a lot of talent um they get in the way sometimes and they're they're allowed to win games and play as well too and uh the the league is as tight as it's ever been so winning with your b game doesn't exist anymore no matter who you play um, and then after that, uh, when you do beat the upper echelon or the, the top teams in the league, um, that's very rewarding. Uh, but if you, you know, if you give it back on a night where, uh, where you should be able to come out with a victory, they all even out and it's, uh, it becomes a balancing act. And, and um, you know, again, we need to improve in that area. All right, head coach Todd McClellan. So, uh, sure, they got to improve in a lot of areas. But uh, the Oilers first in their division. Obviously, they have played more games than the teams around them except Calgary. Edmonton is ninth overall in points, but I thought, okay, what does that really mean because everybody's played a different number of games. The Oilers are 14th in terms of points percentage at 571. That's a pace to get 93 or 94 points depending on whether you want a round up or down. Like I said, guys, average team. Now, what they're going to need here is another burst like they had off the start of the season where they can win, I mean, they won 7 out of 8 off the start. they got to do something like win 7 out of 10, 5 out of 7, and then not give it away because they then had a five-game losing streak. So, it, I mean, they're there. They're hanging around. I do think the team is better. Despite how frustrated a lot of you were last night, I don't think this is the same old team that finished in the bottom three in the NHL six of the last seven years. But they're sort of teetering on the edge, and you got to remember they started 7-1, and one, and now they're 14, 10, and 4, right? So that's that's a run of, of 7, 9, and 4. That's only 7 wins in their last 20 games. That's not very good, but they got, you know, I, I think they are capable of putting together a little run. A couple of games they haven't been able to finish up or get, get, a t- get, the, get the clutch goal. Those are all the question marks going ahead. Tomorrow at Philadelphia, the Flyers have won 6 straight. That's a 3.30 face-off show on 6.30 set, and the game is going to start at five all right want to check the crystal glass scoreboard courtesy of crystal glass for all your glass needs call 310 glass today capitals up two nothing on the bruins that is now after one and halfway through the game the wild lead the maple leafs 3-1 ducks home to the hurricanes a little bit later on the sharks play the senators the sharks a point behind the oilers for first in the division but san jose does have three games in hand so they'll make up one of those tonight Matthew Panashik on the other side of the window this evening. Matthew, you were uh, were you at an NFL game again last week? Yeah, I was, Reed. Which one did you see? Minnesota and Dallas. The Thursday nighter. It so was, was that actually a tense game? Uh, some of it was, some of it was not. So it was, it was to me, some of the some of the game was played sloppily. 
It was a slop game. Uh, but did, it came right down to near the end, didn't it? Two it point did. Conference? It came down to a two two point conversion to tie the game for Minnesota to get to overtime, but they couldn't uh, do it. Bradford sailed the pass, and it should have been a penalty on that play, though, because it was he did get grabbed on the face mask or hit That's, the head. Yes, so. I remember watching that. Yeah. That should have been roughing the passer. Yeah. Uh, how many NFL games have you been to this fall? Four. 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 This yep. season. For this season. You are a well-traveled young man. I am, sir. Brian Cheeseman, well-traveled with the World Juniors last year in Finland, now going to Montreal and Toronto for this year's event. He's coming up. Kevin Carius is going to jump into studio as well. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.